Hello DSO Connect friends, it's Casey here and I wanted to give you a heads up that today's episode was recorded back in April on April 1st Uh, and so although it is July now, I didn't want anyone to be confused with our references of springtime so enjoy today's episode recorded on April 1st. Hello and welcome to the DSO Connect podcast. I'm Casey. I'm Robin. How are you Robin? How are things? I'm great. You know, spring is coming and um, the grass may be coming greener and the trees may start to bloom soon. So every morning, I just think we're one day closer to blue skies and green grass. (laughs) And allergies. I don't get those. So I'm Uh, okay. You're very lucky. You're very lucky. All right. Well, we have a special guest today. We want to welcome Andrea Gibson. Hello, Andrea. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. We're excited to have you. Um, So let's learn a little bit about Andrea. Andrea Gibson is a self-compassion and mindset coach dance teacher, choreographer, and mental health advocate. She is the creator and founder of Unconditional, the self-love movement. Her goal is to inspire change within the dance industry by sharing her own personal mental health struggles, as well as triumphs with authenticity, vulnerability, and humor. So amazing. Love that. Boom, baby. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome. That's amazing. First, I want to ask, what exactly does self-compassion mean? I mean, it sounds pretty self-explanatory, but can you, can you expand on that a little? 100%, because I think where people get caught up is the difference between self-compassion and Mm self-love. So self-love is this authentic love and acceptance of who you are as a human in all your flaws, because we Mm -hmm. all have flaws. Self-compassion is the action that you create to show yourself that love consistently. Hmm. So it's the way you show up for yourself. It's the way you speak to yourself. It's the way you listen to your body and slow down. That for me with the dance community and with teachers and studio owners is the biggest, I think, self-care move is knowing when to slow down and actually pause. Mm-hmm. And that is a beautiful act of self-compassion. That's awesome. Well, tell us a little bit more about yourself, um, about your dance journey, your background, where'd you come from, where'd you go, how you got to where you are. (laughs) I'm stopping myself from singing that right now. I know, right? Same. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, grew up in British Columbia, Canada. I was a very competitive dancer so like in my grad year I think I competed with 26 different numbers at each competition holy moly you know it was lyrical so you did your solo your duo your trio your small group your large group your line with every genre I just I definitely over identified as a dancer and Mm -hmm. only a dancer and when I graduated I wasn't given a lot of okay Andrew this is how we should take the next few steps or this is what we should look at. And so I just moved to Vancouver to start auditioning. And as I did that, my eating disorder just Mm. went on fire out of control. I had a very fixed mindset. I had this idea like 
I danced a million hours a week growing up. So this is as good as I'm ever going to get. So if people don't accept me this way, then I'm out of luck. And because this is all I did, what else would I be? Uh, and as my eating disorder just grew and grew, I had to decide between dance and my mental health. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, it felt like an impossible choice, but yeah. I did it. I made that choice on my own. I got the help I needed. I got stronger mentally. I saw all of the counselors, which was the best move ever for me. And um, I missed dance so much. I decided after a couple years, I would just, I would try teaching. I'll just try teaching. I feel like that would be a safe way for me to get back into the studio and actually help kids who feel similar to to what I went through. And I fell in love with teaching. That's awesome. Yeah, I um I kind of relate to that a little bit just like the the burnout feeling of, of Mm -hmm. dancing so much. And when I graduated from college, I was like, I don't want to see a dance studio. I don't want to look at a panel of Marley. I don't want to do anything, but what was I, what was my resume built for dance and teaching dance. So I started teaching and by teaching is how I fell back in love with dance. And it was really revitalizing for me. So, yeah. So how long have you been teaching? Oh my gosh like 18 years, nice. maybe more. Like I, wow. I, I lived in Prince George for a while, which is like a small town in BC up North. So I started teaching when I was 14. Nice. I, I didn't go full time until my mid twenties. And then I was doing like six days a week because the studio I worked at had three different studios they owned. Oh, wow. So I would just hop around each day and do six hours a day. That was a lot. That is a lot. Of like straight classes. Yeah, no. Right? Because then you're prepping all day to teach all night. To, right. There's a learning curve there. <laughs> but that was like, you know, I did this work with my eating disorder. That was the first layer. Yeah. Then it was like, whoa, perfectionism, whoa, OCD, like people pleasing, good girl syndrome. It was just <laughs> layer after layer. <laughs> See, oh, oh, this is why. So funny. This is why I created Unconditional is because the the head nods as you start to talk about this with other teachers and studio owners and dancers. It's like, if we are all going down this path and have experienced so many similarities all over the globe, we can band together and we can go, okay, but now what? Mm. Right? Mm. And instead of coming from this place of, of hurt and pain, which we all have to deal with not deal with um work through and love ourselves through anyways but being excited for how we can shift the future instead of frustrated for where things still are because that mindset isn't going to get us moving forward Hmm. so as a teacher after you know you said you got back into teaching in your mid-20s were you deliberately trying to not teach in a way that you had been taught? Hmm. Um, you said you were very, um, you were, you were competing kind of at an excessive level. Like maybe it was, you only identified yourself as a dancer and not in any other way. When you came back into teaching in your twenties, did you try to approach things differently than to give your students an experience that was different than what you had? 
or were you still teaching kind of in that same, I assume you had a very technically strong edu dance education. Mm -hmm. Did you lean more toward, you know, a holistic approach with your students or were you like, nope, I'm a technically strong dancer and I'm teaching technically a, a, a technical class? What, talk, talk about that a little bit. You know what, the studio I was at, I was actually really lucky. I just, it was ran by business owners, not dance teachers. Mm. So there were a lot of, recreational classes so when I came back a lot of the kids I was seeing was only that one hour a week mm. so your your options drastically shift like you're fitting everything you know into that one hour to create a piece by the end of the year um, I did build a competitive mm. program within that studio but again because of their business mindset it had to work for them so it was quite different than what I had experienced growing up. But I wanted that push. Mm -hmm. I wanted that drive. I wanted that team community. I wanted to get these kids on stage because that is what I truly fell in love with. But being a deep feeler, it was very natural for me. I, I feel like after everything I've been through, I literally can look at kids and I know what's going on without them having to expand on mm -hmm. it. And then I just, my focus became really creating a safe space for these kids to show up as themselves. And from there, the growth shifted, right? Because they weren't, I'm pretty crazy and out there. I don't know if you've picked up on that already, <laughs> but it's funny because the, when the kids get it, yeah. It's usually the first month their eyes are like, <gasps> and they're almost like at the back of the studio a little. And then by October, they just start coming out of their shells. And it's such a beautiful thing. So the technical aspect was still very important to me, but it was for the most part, human first answer second. Mm -hmm. Got it. So talking, talking about, um, creating a safe space for dancers to show up Ooh. as their whole and true and unique selves. How do you do that? Like, what, what does that look like from a practical standpoint as a teacher? How do you create that safe space? Oh, big part of that is being authentically you, mm. right? Um, but I would say one big shift I had in my years of teaching, you know, we almost go through cycles of doing things and then we add something else in and we're like, okay, that didn't work. Or yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. That landed. Holy cow. Is I started doing one quote a week. So I'd write a quote up on the dry erase board. And in the first five minutes of class, one of the students reads the quote, we discuss it and we move forward. Hmm. And that was a game changer because all of a sudden these kids at this point, I had just started at another studio. They realized I was there for more than just dance. It was just, honestly, it wasn't even the quote. It was the fact that I was putting that effort in. Mm -hmm. And once one kid started opening up in the next, the other thing I do um, that Beverly Spelling actually taught is she does 30 seconds, I do 15 second stories. So we sit in a circle, I have my timer on my watch and you get 15 seconds to tell me whatever you want. 
And then I eh, them and they love that. Oh my gosh. Which is just ridiculous. Oh man. Um, I gotta, I gotta start doing that. Cause I, I, in my classes, we share news at the beginning of class. And I've been like, sometimes I'm like, are we going to get to dancing today? Like I can't, right? we can't share all, all this condense. <laughs> it's beautiful because now they know you see them as a person, not as mm-hmm. a body. Yeah. So it's so important, but the timer really does help. Don't get me wrong. There are like seven-year-olds who I could like buzz away and they are just talking, right? Like they are just living their best lives. Right. But overall it makes a huge difference. That's great. Um, so tell us more about your program, your movement, your, your, all your things. <laughs> All the, all the things. Yeah. First, I would like to talk to you a little bit about like how I got really into unconditional yeah. from teaching. Please. And that was the studio that I started the quotes at was actually at a 45 minute drive from my house. So when my youngest child went to kindergarten, I decided to go stick strictly to another studio that's five minutes down the road for mm-hmm. ease. It was a really hard choice. We get, we fall so deeply in love with these kids. Yeah. And it was like leaving a piece of my family for my at-home family. Oh. And doing these quotes and seeing what an impact it had made us like, how, how am I going to follow through? So these kids are still getting something from me. They're still getting those little like drops of wisdom and care that if they choose to, you know, they can dive into, right? So I started Unconditional on Instagram just on a whim so I could support them. And I was like, yeah, self-love is important. It's, we all know that. But to me, I didn't understand exactly. Like I've been told before with my perfectionism, uh, Andrea, you just need to love yourself. Oh, like, sure. No problem. Done dude, and done. I, yeah. Like I don't hate myself, but that doesn't mean love, right? It's like, I don't hate broccoli but I don't love it or crave it. So it was this realization. And as I started looking into it, like the answer, the antidote for perfectionism is self-compassion. What is one of the biggest struggles in our dance industry for these students and teachers and studio owners is that perfectionism. It was like, people need to know about this. And the deeper I dug into it, the more, the more magic I found. So self-compassion is made up of three components. Kindness. So how you speak to yourself. Mindfulness. Being aware of your thoughts. And common humanity. And that's the whole concept that we are all human we're going to make mistakes. That's part of our journey. Do you find that um, sharing this information and these resources with your students has helped make their connections to one another deeper and more significant? I think that anytime someone can become more connected to who they are at the core, Mm -hmm. they can create deeper connections with each other. And the more, the whole idea behind it too, is creating your own validation. Mm. And when you are validating yourself and who you are and where you're at, it puts you in the driver's seat of your learning. 
and out of that victim mentality. And so you're creating, again, a safer space in that room because everyone's learning and understanding. So they're working less with that comparison mindset. Mm. You know, we did, I just finished um, a dance mindset camp in the spring, I called Confidence in Motion. And one of the focuses was failing forward. And we actually did something called fail points. So I wrote it with the dry eraser marker on the mirror and I let the kids, anytime they made a mistake, go up and give themselves a point. Hmm. So it made a game out of it. And you're still going to get the kids who are like fake tripping oh, fail point, ah, and running over. Right. But the whole idea is by the end, they understood that our view of failure is what's getting in the way of our growth. Oh, I like that. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause we have so many kids who are just terrified of failure and that they don't, they don't try or they don't push themselves out of their comfort zone because they're just so afraid to fail. And that's so sad to me. And I, I was that dancer too. I was always so like, you know, just dancing in my own little bubble and very, you know, happy with what I knew how to do and very terrified of learning new skills. Right. Yeah. And I would dance big and proud and then go home and feel deep shame Mm -hmm. over where I didn't measure up Mm -hmm. so that I'm very funny and out there. And that was like a, like a safety mechanism for me where other dancers just pull back and get smaller. Also, depending on class, like I would sabotage myself in ballet class. We would be at the ballet bar and I would purposely like duck butt on my plies because I just, I didn't fit in. I couldn't fit in. So why even try? Mm -hmm. So you can see, you said that um, you have this um, talent or innate ability to um, kind of assess what your students are going through uh, without them telling you. So when you see that class of clown student, you can, you, you have an idea of what that's all about. Oh um, and so you probably approach that student, not from a place of get in line, um, you know, stop goofing off. This is not the time or place. And you can kind of, you know, reach them from a different angle. Totally. It's like, it's my superpower. You know, I used to think being a deep feeler and so sensitive as a child, it was again, so much shame. It was a weakness. And now I see, oh my gosh, this was my purpose. This is why I'm here. So Mm -hmm. yesterday in one of my classes, I had a student disappear into the bathroom. Okay. She's only like seven, but it's been five minutes. Like girl, what is going on? And I go check on her, she doesn't answer. I'm like, okay, listen, honey, I just need to know you're safe. You need to tell me you're in there. And she says, you know, she says, yes, Miss Andrew. And she opens the door and I go, I look at her and I go, did you just need a minute alone? Are you having a hard time in there and feeling overwhelmed? And she takes a deep breath and says, yeah, and starts crying. And I was like, I am so proud of you for listening to your body and that you needed to take that time for yourself. I just need you to tell me so that I know you're safe and I can keep teaching class and not have to come out here. If you need me, 
you know, I've taught her a few weeks ago, we have a wink. If you need me, you wink at me in class and we can do a private check-in on the side. But that was, again, that's a huge shift because guess what my first reaction was? Come on, kid. I'm trying to finish this dance. You're not in here. Mm-hmm. I have eight kids already moving. I don't have time. Yep. Mm-hmm. In that moment, it wasn't about me. It was that little girl needing to be seen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you teach teachers how to recognize these things or are your workshops mostly for students? Oh my God, Robin, I love you so much. That is like, uh, that is like a huge dream of mine to eventually get there. Um, right now I have mindset movement workshops that are for students. I also like to go into the studios and just even break down what self-compassion is. How do we build our inner champion? What does that even look like? What do we say to our inner critic? You know, because when my inner critic would come up originally, I would be so annoyed and like, oh, go away. I've dealt with you. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. And that whole negative energy did not help. Whereas the idea like the inner critic and the inner champion they want the same thing for you. Hmm. So when that inner critic comes up and you say, hey, I see you. You're trying to take care of me. I just need you to know I got this. And then choose to bring that champion in. Choose what words that you're going to focus on for yourself. And doing those workshops in studio, I usually like the teachers to sit in on that, to be a part of it. I also have Mm -hmm. something called the self-care sisterhood. And a big part of that was watching these studio owners who are already burnt out, let's be honest, Mm pre-pandemic, go through that and still, it's 2022, and still be in fight or flight mode. To be living Mm -hmm. that long in survival mode, that was my life. That is not a life. Right. So the self-care sisterhood is a way to bring these women together and lift each other up and give them the tools to learn how to create safe boundaries, how to put themselves on the to-do list. Because guess what? Saying, put yourself first on your to-do list. When you're like, I'm not even on that list, it, it, it seems impossible. <laughs> so how do we just like put the name, scroll it a little on the bottom and then work it up, yes. right? Those those tools on learning how to show up for yourself are so important mm-hmm. that you deserve to. And it's not something that you earn. It is because you are human, but also it's time to take accountability for your own life and your enjoyment. Hmm. So eventually, hmm. Robin, I would love to create the course that is just talking to teachers about what to look for. And you know what, Mm -hmm. how to notice your own intuition before your childhood triggers of how a student should act comes up. Hmm. Hmm. Because there's so much of that, well, they're disrespecting me. They have no idea how hard I'm working. Mm -hmm. I prep for three hours for this next 20 minutes of choreography. I get it, but it's I'm so sorry. It's not about you. That struggle is not about you. Yeah. It's, it's so hard to take yourself out of that equation, especially when it is 
such a personal medium that we're teaching and such a, you know, and it's an art form, you know, so it's like inherently personal and it's inherently creative and we feel so invested in it and invested in our students that we kind of insert ourselves into their behavior or actions. And it's really, you're totally right. It's not about us. It's about the kids. And I think I struggled with that a lot as a younger teacher, and I've definitely Mm -hmm. gotten better about not doing that now that I've been teaching for like, you know, 20 something years. (laughs) Right. But a, a lot of that too, is your insecurities as a younger teacher. Yes. Like if this doesn't look good, Mm -hmm. how am I going to be viewed? Exactly. Yes. That's where the mess Mm -hmm. is. That's where the entanglement is. Oh, for sure. A hundred percent. I remember very clearly, I think it was my first or second year as a studio owner and I lost my ever loving shit on a class and they, they just, it was a, it was like a level three ballet class. So like intermediate level. Um, and we had been working on this choreography for, you know, months and months and months. And they just weren't like, they just still weren't pointing their damn feet. (laughs) I just like absolutely lost my head at them. Mm -hmm. And I was not proud, not proud at all. (laughs) And, you know, there were some tears from them and I just was like, okay, this is not how I want to like have a legacy. I do not want to be like Mm -hmm. known as the mean dance teacher that makes her students cry. Like let's recalibrate here. (laughs) I think that here's the thing. This is like how I view parenting as well. And a big part of showing up for myself the way I can now is because when my daughter was in grade one, I had this horrible, she's a huge feeler too. Okay. I don't know where she got it from. (laughs) This horrible moment of like, oh my God, I'm going to ruin her. I'm Mm. going to ruin her. Mm. And so I started to go see a counselor just to understand how to parent because I knew, I innately knew I needed something different for her than what was given to me. Mm-hmm. And that is what we so quickly fall back on because that's all we know. Mm-hmm. So I learned about mm-hmm. emotional based parenting and it's all about when your child is in their big feelings, you need to validate them. And I was like, that is the most ridiculous, crazy thing I've ever heard in my, wait a minute, that kind of feels right. <laughs> <laughs> And as I started to do that, there was a lot of pullback from my family Hmm. because what it looks like to an outsider's perspective quite often is you're letting your child just rule the roost because they're having a tantrum beside you. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, you know, we've worked, it's been a few years now we've worked through it. There's been a lot of growth, but I had this whole aha moment in like, oh my God, I need to give that to myself. When I'm upset, when I am in my struggle, I need to acknowledge that and let it be okay. Because all my life, these big feelings have come up and I have shoved them down out of embarrassment and shame and they're here for a reason. So when I acknowledge and allow, then they release. Mm -hmm. And that is so much what self-compassion is about 
non-fixing. It's about giving yourself that compassion and that love in the moment without needing to change it. Mm -hmm. But the bonus is, so when we feel shame, our brain goes into the fight or flight, which shuts down our learning centers. Right. When we meet it with self-compassion, our brain relaxes and it builds our cognitive flexibility, which Hmm. gives us the opportunity to learn from our mistakes. So just like you did in that class, yes, you did, you felt, you did feel shame. We all do. We've all been through and have those moments, right? But for your students to see that and you to show up and say, listen, I made a mistake. That is not who I am. I am sorry. That was not about you. That to me, that is a life lesson that they will never forget. Mm -hmm. And that is what... I want to circle back around to with the parenting is we are going to screw up no matter what. Okay. But imagine your mother or father sat down and said, listen, I dropped the ball. I'm so sorry. I had a horrible day at work and I took it out on you. Hmm. Gone is the trauma. You yeah. Know what I mean, like, yeah, that's what, brilliant. What just planted in your head is now you are allowed to release and you will not hold on to because you're right. You are human. And guess what? Now you've just given me permission to make mistakes and then show up and apologize for them. Yeah. So we are now creating resilience in our children and our students. And we are allowing them to be human by showing them that we are also human. So, um, I'm wondering, is there a place in this whole philosophy where you're also teaching the kids um, about accountability? For example, if you're, you have that seven-year-old who just needs a moment and needs to go in the bathroom for a minute and be by herself, what if that were to happen like five minutes before she needs to go on stage? And now the show is delayed and, and you know so many other people are you know, kind of affected by her need for her self-compassion and her self-love. So are we all, is there also a place in here where we're teaching kids, you know what, there, this is a moment where we've got, where a team is relying on us and we show up or is, how does that all fit in? That's a great question. I think these signs are coming up before we're backstage, right? So the Mm -hmm. fact that we're acknowledging them is the first step. If this happens again, there's going to be a phone call home. Mm -hmm. This is not a, and not a like your child, but here is my concern. This is what I'm seeing. How would you like to support this situation? This is what we're trying, that sort of thing. But you're also, as you're allowing this child to be seen, when she's hiding backstage and you go to see her, that connection is already there. She feels mm. safe with you. So that, that flight, that fight or flight symptom, when you're bringing in that compassion that she has already relied on you for, you're going to get a different result. I, there is also such thing as fierce compassion. So it's not all like, Oh, and soft. And there are boundaries. 
there is the mama bear. That is so important. That's a big side of things, Mm -hmm. but it's a balance of them all. And if that child is hiding in that bathroom every class and you don't go talk to that parent and then it happens backstage, are we really blaming that kid? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, that makes sense. So you're not just like allowing the bathroom situation as an example to be the norm. It's like, let's work through this to get to a point where the team can rely on you and you can shine on stage and be proud of yourself and feel a sense of accomplishment and all of that. 100%. We were just on a coffee chat call just prior to this. And one of the things that a lot of the um, studio owners on the the chat were talking about is... um, this syndrome kind of that we're experiencing or this trend right now where a lot of our teens are um, not being accountable for their attendance, for their full participation in class. Um, They're not pushing themselves. The, The kids around them are like, you know, who wants to be on a team where half the people don't want to be on the team. And so we're wondering, we were kind of lamenting and, and, you know, just wondering did we over coddle our students over the last two years to the point that now they're all soft? And I'm not suggesting that what you're doing, because what you're talking about is very well thought out and um, comes from, you know, a a place of a lot of education. Um, But for those of us who aren't experienced like you are in this whole strategy, um, have we made mistakes And have we just excused certain behaviors like, oh, you have a headache. Okay, stay home. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, you know, your feelings are hurt. You need to leave class because I corrected you. You know, we need, in order for us to implement what you are talking about correctly and not end up with a bad result, which is a bunch of whiny (laughs) crybabies on our, you know, on our dance company, we need to be trained in what you're saying. So I think that you need to teach teachers so that we know how to do it right and not be standing here saying, what the heck did we do wrong? (laughs) And of course the last two years was kind of an unusual situation, but it exists, it it is our reality. And we need to learn how to kind of um, not fix these dancers, but kind of help them put themselves back together so that we can mm-hmm. have functioning dance studios with hardworking kids and parents who want to succeed. Yeah. Thank you, Robin. That made me tear up. Aww. And I would love, love, love to make that happen. It's definitely like a huge part of why I'm doing what I'm doing. I think if, if we have to, we got to go there with that pandemic. Part of the problem was as studio owners, we need to pay our bills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we were, I, I cannot, we saw a lot of this, like parents and students literally getting away with murder. You know what I mean? Yes. Like just like, yes. but, but I can still pay the teacher and I can still, and I get it because it was so flipping scary the entire time. Yes. Right. But now we're past that. And we're dealing with this building that's just like blowing in the breeze. And then we're wondering why the top is falling off. And we, well, we can't hold it together. Guess what? We have to start from the bottom again. And I hate to say that, Mm. but if we don't 
build from the ground up, it's just going to keep tumbling and crumbling. Yeah. It's like dancing without alignment. Like, good luck. Sure, you can do that double, but wait till we hit fuetes. Right? Like, my chin's forward, but my butt's out, but my. (laughs) Look at me go. (laughs) So it is, it's starting again. It's understanding that, you know what? the pandemic really shone a light on these kids who were just barely holding it together. Mm -hmm. So even what teachers were thinking like, no, this is like my star student. She's always on time. She works her hardest. Guess what? I was one of those kids and I was struggling so deeply, but I am a performer. Mm -hmm. My parents didn't even have a clue. Mm -hmm. So is there a way we can pivot to see the blessing in what we are uncovering right now and then use things like dancing, which I am just like over the moon about to start understanding, understanding that mental health aspect, knowing that when you bring it in, even that first year, it's not a problem solver. Again, this is a foundation to create a safe space so that those kids, they're not showing up out of fear or to prove anything. They're showing up for themselves. And then all of that Mm -hmm. stuff you're talking about, Robin, will be few and far between. Mm -hmm. And it will be so much easier to say, I love you, but you need to let go. Yeah, that's a great answer. That's a great answer. Yeah, Um, that really is. Thank you for that. I think that we all, and it, it, it just really struck me in the coffee chat earlier that these aren't isolated situations. This is a trend that we're seeing across the board. And we, a lot of us, like I'm a business owner. I am not a counselor. I, yeah. you know, I know how I parented my kids, but I don't, I'm not a parent of girls. Uh, you know, like we all have our <laughs> limits as to yeah. what we and um, what we, you know, so I think what you're, what you're saying is, is really important. And I hope that, um, I hope that as an industry, we can figure out how to incorporate the things that you're saying and a little bit of the things that we grew up with in our own training. You know, it's interesting. I was just doing a podcast interview the other day and I was reflecting on how my training in the eighties at, you know, in a classical ballet program was so different from like all the the people I'm talking to now are reflecting on that type of training as being damaging, harmful, um, debilitating, um, you know, all these negative things. What was, there's gotta be some positive nuggets that we experienced back then because it created a lot of really, wrong dancer. So what are these things and how can we incorporate them and refine, like get rid of the bad stuff, keep the good stuff. Don't just throw it all away because I think that there needs to be discipline and structure. And that's what I fear sometimes when we talk about, um, when we get too woo woo, um, I, I just, I worry that are we, are we softening up the ballet training or the dance technical training to a point where we're going to lower the standard and not have as good of an end result. And I'm not talking about someone who can dance technically perfectly, but the, just the, the 
self-discipline and all of those things that go along with being like an excellent athlete or, um, or a high performer in any industry. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So I would love to find that balance between all those things that you're talking about and then keeping the nuggets that made our industry so, you know, so strong. And I mean, dancers are hard core people. Like they have hard, like discipline and all of that. And I kind of like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so you know what I'm saying? I'm like, I would love to see how all of these things come together to create the, the ultimate future for, for our industry. Yeah. I love that mm -hmm. Robin. And I, I think it's so important that you bring that up because it will really help some of the people listening to this who feel that immediate, like pullback and that push, Ugh, right. But that mm -hmm. also means what I'm saying can if it's triggering you, it's something you really need to look at too. If it's making you that <laughs> uncomfortable, my question is, what is your self-talk in your head? How do you show up for yourself? Right? Mm -hmm. So it it's, creates this mirror of like, okay, what, what can I work on for me as well? I think it's so important. We had so many things that did work growing up. Those aren't the things that created the trauma. The trauma is usually what mm -hmm. ends up being talked about, but that's how we pivot and learn. Right. Yeah. Um, one thing, like just as a, like an example that I learned from an Olympic rower is the whole concept of good, better, how. And I've been using this and it's really helping my students. It's as soon as they finish their dance. So even when we came back from competition, our first one this year, before we even listen to the judges critiques. We, I asked them, OK, what was good? And they have to tell me what was good for them what could be better? Oh, well, you know, right away, they could have a list of 20, right? How, how are we going to make it better? Then we watch the video and we talk about the feedback, but we give them that opportunity first to show up for themselves and find value in what they did. And the whole understanding and discussions that discussion that competitions are subjective. No matter mm -hmm. how hard we try, right? I saw that post by the beautiful Lauren Ritchie. I don't know if you have, but it's not, it's not like when you're measuring a race, everyone starts at the same line. Whoever gets to this line first wins. Like no matter what, these adjudicators, and no matter how hard these competitions are working, they come from different backgrounds. I love musical theater and performance. When I see a funny piece, I cling to it faster than someone who's grown up in the Royal Winnipeg Ballet. And those lines mean the world. It tugs on their heart when they see those leg lines, right? Mm -hmm. Both of us beautifully trained. Both of us have things to help with while adjudicating. It's still subjective. So helping them understand mm -hmm. that, but learn that, they can bring that value themselves is that inward validation again. And when they're validating themselves, they show up stronger. They really do once they learn. They show up stronger for themselves, for their team, and for you as a teacher, because they can say, this is what's going on for me. This is where I'm struggling. This is the choice I need to make today. Instead of all of a sudden bursting into tears and running out of the room and not coming back for four classes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's a good answer. Good. Thank you. This is really great. Yeah.
Yeah, this is, this has been great, Andrea, lots of food for thought, lots of, lots of good, good nuggets to, to hold on to and to, to think about moving forward. Um, where can people find you? Do you, if you want to be found, how can people get in touch with you? <laughs> oh, I love you. Uh, my website is the unconditional movement.ca. But where I usually post most of my short little videos on how I'm showing up for myself or different things I see in my students or with my kids, it's on Instagram at the unconditional movement. Awesome. Do you offer virtual workshops? Cause I feel like I sure do. do you? Okay, cool. Yeah. Good to know. All right. Awesome. That is so... one amazing pivot from the pandemic. Oh right? yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Oh, well, thank you so much for being here with us, Andrea. That is that. What a lovely conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me and being so open to hearing me out and just bringing up things that were your questions so we can really come together. That's, that's why we're here, right? Absolutely. hundred percent. All right. Well, let's finish with our heart happy moments. Andrea, what's your heart happy moment? Mine is okay. A few nights ago, I went to bed with my daughter to give her that five minutes, which is so important before she fell asleep and she's crying. And she's saying, I don't want to tell you, mommy, I'm just going to hurt your feelings. And I don't want to hurt your feelings. And I took a deep breath and I said, Brooklyn, you know that I know how to show up for myself and my big emotions and that it is safe for me to feel whatever it is you're going to tell me. And she proceeded to tell me how I am not parenting her in her big feelings the way that she needs. And the reason that was so, of course, I started crying a little. Like, then you can't help but have that little bit of that guilt kick in and your ego go, but I want to fight for why I am showing up and how hard I'm trying. And I just let her open. I'm just so honored that she felt safe to do that and that I could give her that space so that she knows when she needs something, she can speak for it from her heart and that she deserves to have people hear it. And that to me is such a life lesson that I'm so honored that I could give to her. But also it's the same things that when we keep consistently showing up for our students, those are the things that start to happen. That is only because of how I switched my parenting. And I said, how are we supposed to grow as a mother and daughter if we can't communicate our needs in a healthy way? And I'm only human. I will keep trying. It's not going to be great every day, honey, but I hear you. Wow. That's a tough, a tough one to follow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Robin, <laughs> what was your heart happy? It was not nearly as earth shattering as that <laughs> one was. That was a really good one. That was good. Um, I got to have family dinner with um, my son, Nick and Allie and Genevieve the other night. And Aww. Genevieve, um, she just, um, she had, she had a little cup, like a mug, and she had little blocks in it. And she sat on my lap and she took, the, she's one and a half. And she took the blocks out and stacked them on the table and then put them back in the cup and then stacked them on the table and put them back in the cup. And I looked at Allie, her mom, and I was like, 
she's really advanced, isn't she? Because that's what grandma <laughs> said. Like, you know, she's really advanced. And of course, Allie was like, actually, at age one and a half, most kids aren't stacking blocks yet. And I, and I took her word for it because she's a preschool teacher. So um, that was my heart happy moment. That's beautiful. <laughs> that's awesome. It's a little thing. Oh my gosh. Well, Robin, your heart happy was about your granddaughter. Andrea, yours was about your daughter. Mine obviously is going to be about my dog. Um, <laughs> so my girlfriend and I are trying to integrate our, our dogs. And so I bring my dog over to her place. She brings her dog over to my place. And at first they would just like bark at each other incessantly and they would play a little bit and then just bark, 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 bark. And it was like, oh my God, I don't know if this is going to work. Um, but lately over the past uh, like week or so, they've been so much better adjusted to one another. They just play and play and play and they have such a good time and they make these little gremlin noises that are so cute and funny <laughs> and there's a lot less barking. So that is my heart happy. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Is one of them dominant? Has one of them established like the alpha position? I think it's Cora. I think it's mine. <laughs> yeah, she's a little spitfire for sure. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Good talk, ladies. I enjoyed yes. it. Thank you so Thank much, you. Andrea. It's been great talking to you. Thank you, friends, for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And we'll be back next week. Bye.